My name is Tom Abbott from the University of Warwick. Angels are a popular part of Christmas celebrations, but this has not always been the case. A study led by Professor Peter Marshall, Angels in the Early Modern World, describes how angels were nearly swept from our culture. Peter, um, perhaps we should start by just explaining what an angel actually is. Well, that's not a very easy question to answer because angels have been around for an extremely long time. Um, they're much older than Christianity, for example, and many of the, the ancient religions of the, the Near East, out of which Judaism develops, had a notion of uh, celestial creatures subordinate to the gods. But I guess the starting point uh, for our modern ideas of angels is very much the Bible, both the, the Old and New Testament are um, full of angels. And in fact, the, the word angel itself derives from the Greek term in the New Testament, agalos, which means messenger. And I guess that's what angels really are. They're the messengers of God. Uh, they're created beings, so they are, they are real things that exist, uh, but they are incorporeal, which means they have, they have no body, no material substance. So real but invisible creatures which can take a visible form from time to time when God desires them to uh, deliver a particular message to humanity. So you, you've written this book saying that um, there was a period when angels were, they, angels were almost removed from our cultural heritage. When was that and why? Well, this is at the time of the, the Protestant Reformation, in the uh, 16th and on into the 17th century in both Britain and the, the rest of Europe. Um, I, I think what we need to remember here is that angels were so much a part of the medieval Catholic culture of which the Protestant reformers strongly disapproved. Uh, they didn't like the idea of images, statues, decoration in the churches, which they were worried uh, would lead to idolatry, that is, the, the worshipping of, of false images. And medieval churches were full of images uh, of Christ and of the Virgin Mary, uh, of God himself, which Protestants found particularly offensive, of saints, and also of angels. And the other thing that Protestants firmly disapproved of was anything that kind of got in the way um, between an individual Christian and his relationship with, with Christ. Really, the, the main sort of theological idea of the Reformation is that people are saved solely by putting their, their trust, their faith in Christ. Um, and anything which is a kind of intermediary to that um, is a distraction at best and uh, a sort of false heresy at worst. And the saints were be seen as being particularly problematic here because um, medieval Christians would pray to saints and saints would uh, intercede with them uh, to Christ and, and God. So the saints are really a very big casualty of the Reformation, both in, in Britain uh, and elsewhere in Protestant Europe. Um, and angels are kind of guilty. Um, well, I suppose we could say they, they, they're almost swept up in guilt by association. Um, because angels in some ways were rather similar to saints. People might um, pray for the assistance of their guardian angel um, or of angels more generally. They would expect angels to intercede with them for God. Um, uh, so for all these reasons, I think um, angels seemed rather dangerous to Protestant reformers. Uh, and they certainly wanted the very least to radically uh, rein them in and curtail their presence in Christian culture. So did people have a very personal relationship with angels? It's, it's hard to answer that, I think, because, um, of course, it's very difficult to know what ordinary people thought. But I think there are lots of bits of evidence that suggest that perhaps they did. Um, surviving 
prayer books from the Middle Ages, for example, with um, handwritten manuscript prayers in them, would often include prayers to the individual guardian angel uh, and asking for for his assistance. Um, His, I say, because although um, angels are technically um, asexual, they're always depicted as as young men uh, in this period. Um, And of course that idea of uh, a guardian angel, an individual angel who stays with you throughout life, who is assigned to you at the the very point of conception and who will um, stay with you through life, giving you advice right through until the end, um, encourages the idea of a a close emotional personal relationship. Um, Perhaps it was more difficult in some ways to have that sense of a close emotional relationship with angels than with saints, because saints after all had been human beings themselves and had shared the you know hopes and, and fears of, of humanity whereas angels are a little bit more a little bit more distant a little bit more mysterious um, but nonetheless I think people must have thought about angels simply because they saw so many depictions of them every time they went to church the Protestant Reformation was it was a purge of a whole range of things wasn't it it wasn't just I suppose angels but Absolutely. Christmas itself was uh, brought under um, uh, under question, Cromwell even banned it, didn't he? But at the same time, we have this sort of the, there's a, a, an ongoing emphasis on witchcraft and, and these mystical elements. Is there a big is there a relationship between the two things? I think I think there is, and some of this goes um, back, I think, to to a confusion about the nature of of the Protestant Reformation, which has been very influential for a long time, and and that is the idea that um, Protestantism was somehow more rational, more modern than the um, Catholic system it had had replaced. And it's logical for us to to think that way because, of course, our own national history goes through Protestantism and then the Enlightenment and uh, into the um, supposedly more rational modern world that we inhabit today. But increasingly what I think scholars are discovering is that Reformation-era Protestantism was just as um, supernaturally charged, we might say, as the world that had had gone before it. Um, certainly it disliked the idea of, of saints interfering in the world. Um, it was rather anxious about the Catholic idea of miracles, but it certainly believed in a God who interfered or intervened in the world uh, all the time. And uh, as you suggest, on the other side of the coin, of a devil who constantly uh, interferes and intervenes in the world and has uh, literally um, a legions, an army of demons uh, invisibly doing his bidding. Um, So concerns about witchcraft, in fact, um, and a fear that there is a sort of army of um, Satan's helpers performing his service in the world actually intensify in the Reformation era. Um, Partly, I think, because in an era of religious conflict, uh, people's anxieties about uh, the possible role of the devil increase. But was it possible um, to reconcile the non-existence of angels with the non-existence of demons and devils? Well, I don't think that Protestants ever... Um, would argue for the non-existence of angels and for a very simple reason really and that is that there are something like 250 plus references to angels in the Bible Um, and at the very core of Protestant belief and identity is the importance of scripture, the word of God as being the sole source of religious authority. So in that sense Protestants were never going to be able to ditch the idea of angels simply because they were so biblical and many of the other things that Protestants disliked about uh, traditional Catholic religion um, take, for example, the, the doctrine of purgatory, where the souls of the dead would go for a time before entering heaven. 
because the word purgatory is never mentioned in the Bible, Protestants had no difficulty simply uh, abolishing that and telling everybody to forget about it. But with angels, that wasn't a possibility. So in a sense, uh, the Protestant Reformation had to deal with angels. It had to find a new role for them uh, than the, the, the one where they looked rather too much like Catholic saints in previous centuries. They may not have been able to deny scripture, but they weren't um, above removing an entire book from the Bible, were they? The book of Tobit. Uh, yes, this is a this is a complicated issue. I think people, um, including my own students, often find this difficult to understand that through to the present day, um, the Catholic and Protestant Bibles are different. And um, the Catholic Bible has um, extra books in it that the Protestants don't recognize as, as part of Scripture. Um, as I understand it, this is um, because there are there are two versions of the Old Testament, one in Hebrew and one in Greek, and the Greek version has these extra scriptural books. But one of these books, as you say, is the book of Tobit, which has one of the most famous uh, stories about angels in it from uh, the Bible, um, which involves the sole mention in scripture of the archangel Raphael, uh, who um, uh, accompanies uh, Tobias on a dangerous journey, at first disguised as a man and who gradually reveals his identity as, as an angel. Um, Raphael, in fact, one of only three um, angels actually named in the Bible, the others, of course, being uh, Michael and uh, Gabriel. Um, so, uh, yes, Raphael rather came under suspicion. And more generally, I think Protestants were uneasy about the idea of angels having names or having personalities, again, because of this concern that people might start to worship them. And that would be a distraction from their worship of Christ. But they didn't succeed, did they? I mean, angels are still with us. So how did um, how did angels cling on to their place within our culture? Well, that's a good question. Um, and in some ways, I think increasingly Protestants recognised that they needed the angels. Um, people, after all, lived in an extraordinarily difficult and dangerous world. Um, plague, famine, war, um, very high levels of neonatal mortality. I mean, really a, a world that I think uh, we could hardly imagine the horrors of in, in some ways. And what the Reformation had done by one reading, was to uh, simply abolish many of the ways that people had coped with the difficulties and dangers of life. Um, late medieval Catholicism had a whole series of uh, rituals, protective rituals of various kinds, involving uh, holy water, prayer to the saints, um, things that uh, let people felt they had some degree of control over an unpredictable and uh, dangerous in environment. Um, and without wanting to sound too flippant, I suppose the one piece of good news that the Protestant reformers could still give to people uh, about the threats of uh, the world as, as they experienced it was that the angels were there, uh, invisibly perhaps, though they did sometimes occasionally appear to people, but that this was really the, the sign that God was not leaving them on their own, abandoning them. Um, and that uh, angels, perhaps even guardian angels, uh, would still be uh, at work in the world, um, doing God's will uh, and protecting people from uh, the wiles of Satan and uh, his allies. Um, so, in fact, in some ways, I think it was a pastoral necessity for the Protestants to retain angels and even perhaps in some ways um, to increase the level of attention that is given to them. After all, the, the competition from the saints had disappeared mm. But they reinvent this role, don't they, about um, instead of the guardian angel, but actually acting, having this role uh, as part of death and mortality. Yes, well, that, that was something really rather traditional. Um, in medieval times, it was always felt that the deathbed was a site of tremendous struggle. 
um, where you could literally win or lose your salvation. Everything to play for. If you if you despair on the deathbed, uh, then Satan might grab your soul and drag you down to hell, even if you'd lived an extremely good life. Um, and conversely, even the greatest sinner, uh, through acts of repentance and performing what was called at the time a good death, uh, could be saved and, and go to heaven. Um, and it was felt that uh, in the room where someone would be dying... And death, um, in contrast to, to our um, understanding and experience of it today, was also a very public event. So a deathbed would be a crowded place with uh, a priest, um, the family there, uh, friends and kinsfolk gathered around a deathbed encouraging someone to make a good death. Um, but the, the Reformation had a different understanding of salvation uh, and um, particularly in the form in which it comes to England, which is heavily influenced by the Swiss reformer John Calvin, uh, who was a great proponent of the idea of predestination, which held that, in fact, you couldn't really do anything to change your eternal destiny. God had decided before you were even born whether you were to be saved or damned. Uh, and that, of course, completely undermined the idea of a deathbed as a place of struggle. In the, the medieval scene, uh, the angels and demons had been there, taking part in this struggle, the demons trying to tempt a dying person to despair, um, and uh, the angels encouraging them to be steadfast in, in their faith. And if the angels win this struggle, then the angels literally um, carry the soul up to heaven. Um, so logically, one would have expected uh, angels to lose their place at the deathbed and for the deathbed to become a much less dramatic, much less spiritually charged place. And in fact, that simply doesn't happen. Uh, for a number of complicated reasons, I think. Um, one is, once again, that uh, the evidence of Scripture could not be ignored. One of the most famous places in the New Testament dealing with angels is the parable that Jesus tells of the beggar Lazarus and the rich man Dives, um, which uh, Lazarus liv lives a miserable life, uh, but when he dies, it is said that angels carried his soul to the bosom of Abraham. Um, and the bosom of Abraham... Uh, people thought was just a, a roundabout poetic way of describing heaven. Uh, so this seemed to be the method by which people get to heaven. So logically, Protestants had to keep a role for angels at the deathbed in order to wait and, and carry the soul away. And even though Protestantism taught that you couldn't actually change your um, uh, identity, uh, your um, ultimate spiritual destiny from the deathbed. Uh, they retained the idea that dying well was supremely important. Partly it was important because it was a means of encouraging the faith of the onlookers. And partly even within the idea of predestination, it was tremendously important psychologically and spiritually for people to convince themselves that they were one of the chosen, they were one of the elect. And the deathbed, in that sense, remains a place of, of trial where you have to demonstrate a complete assurance, a complete faith in God's uh, love for you and determination to save you. And angels still have a role there in encouraging people uh, to feel this sense of, of true, genuine faith and that God is going to save them. We're talking about the Protestant Reformation as if it was a, a single uh, event, but of course it wasn't. I mean, there were various different strains of this Reformation. Did they, different um, strains, approach angels in different ways? Yes, they, they did, I think, though not in a, in a very straightforward way. Um, it might be tempting to think that the more traditionalist or conservative Protestants, um, who were rather keener on keeping some aspects 
of the medieval Catholic legacy, the people who eventually uh, we can start calling Anglicans, I suppose, from the middle of the 17th century, that, that they would be rather keener on angels and the more um, uh, sort of uh, hot biblical sort of Protestants, the people we usually call Puritans, would be much more suspicious of them. Um, and broadly, I think there's something in that. Um, Puritans get very unhappy, for example, in the early 17th century, in the run-up to the Civil War, when Anglicans start putting uh, images, painting statues of angels back into churches, back onto funeral monuments, this kind of thing. And in fact, there's a, a second wave of iconoclasm at the beginning of the English Civil War when Puritans go round the churches smashing up these images. And we know particularly about a man called William Dowsing, who had a commission from Parliament to go through East Anglia in the early 1640s and to purge the churches of their idolatrous imagery. Uh, and he keeps a wonderful, um, rather bureaucratic record of uh, what type of images and how many he's destroyed. So he has lists of the dozens of angels that he has smashed up in particular churches in, in Cambridgeshire and, and uh, Suffolk. Um, and yet... Going back once again to the idea of angels being so scriptural, um, some Puritans were rather keen on them. And in fact, they even found a way into the most hard line of all Puritan doctrines, which is this idea of, of predestination, of a complete inability to um, change one's spiritual fate and destiny. Through the notion that the guardian angel might come back into Protestant thinking, not as a guardian angel for everybody, but that the elect, the people who are destined for salvation, would have a guardian angel assigned to them, whereas the, the damned or the reprobate, as they're sometimes called, would be denied this kind of angelic um, ministry to them. Uh, so it's a complicated story, I think, in which um, angels are reinvented in different ways to perform particular needs for different groups. They also become a handy explanation for other spiritual or supernatural elements, don't they? I mean, you talk in the book about um, angels being used to explain away ghosts or fairies or other sort of creatures that people have, uh, have, have thought of. Yes, and, and in fact, so far, I think we've been talking very much about the ideas of the theologians, the preachers, the, the elite. Uh, and we have to remember here that um, ordinary people uh, lived in a slightly different world, which had all kinds of ideas of which the, the theologians disapproved, some of which uh, go right back to, to pre-Christian times, I think. Um, so uh, the, the notion of the returning spirits of the dead, uh, for example, is a very popular notion, which had been given a kind of Christian logic in the Middle Ages with the idea that um, uh, if people saw ghosts, these were very likely souls returning from purgatory with the permission of God and returning from purgatory because the souls in purgatory benefited from the prayers of the living. So a soul um, purging its sins in um, fires and pain in purgatory might well come back to ask for prayers or masses to be said for it from their relatives. Um, and rather usefully at the same time, of course, this would be a, a demonstration of the reality of purgatory um, and of the importance of the, the spiritual services that the church was, was offering. So um, the church authorities had a rather vested interest in um, spreading these stories. The Reformation had no time for this at all. Because there is no purgatory, there is no possibility of ghosts uh, coming back from purgatory. And in fact, the very notion that the spirits of the dead might return to this world really became anathema to Protestants. Um, logically, it couldn't happen because there was no purgatory, 
Um, the souls in heaven wouldn't want to return. The souls in hell were under the um, power of Satan and therefore they couldn't return. So Protestant preachers endlessly repeated that um, there was simply no way in which the souls of dead men ever walked again on the world. Um, but they had a problem, and that was that people kept seeing apparitions, kept seeing ghosts, um, even when I think reformers assumed that uh, the arrival of the gospel and of true religion would simply solve this problem and the ghosts would disappear, um, partly because they'd always suspected that, in fact, uh, hauntings were kind of got up by the Catholic clergy um, as a means of encouraging people to believe in those doctrines. But people resolutely carried on seeing ghosts and spirits through the 16th into the 17th century and indeed right through into to modern times. Uh, so this had to be explained somehow. And the position that Protestant reformers usually took was um, assuming that people had seen something real rather than just having a kind of hallucination. There were only two possibilities, that um, ghosts might be demons um, or perhaps even Satan himself taking a kind of human form, or they could possibly be angels. Um, and in fact, one thing we need to remember is that demons and angels were basically the same kind of creature. Uh, there were good and evil angels in the world. Um, uh, rather pessimistically, I think Protestants often thought that it was much more likely that they would be demons than that they would be angels. There was an idea that uh, the appearance of angels had perhaps ceased after biblical times. Um, and yet there was never complete unanimity about that. So if people saw a, a spirit, they had to be extremely careful because this might well be um, Satan trying to lure them into his power. But there was always a possibility that this might be uh, an apparition from, from God. Um, fairies, which you mentioned as well, Tom, are a rather different matter because fairies didn't really have any place at all in official Christian thinking, Catholic or Protestant. Um, so um, churchmen of all kinds would have regarded beliefs about fairies, I think, as a kind of superstition. Um, and yet fairy belief remains very, very um, strong, I think, through the 16th century. And one can see this reflected, for example, in how often fairies appear in Shakespeare's work. And Shakespeare is always a tremendously good mirror of the popular beliefs of his time. Uh, but one thing that seems to be happening uh, through the 17th and 18th century is that traditional beliefs about fairies are actually taking on board notions about angels, and angels are coming to, to replace a role that fairies had once played in uh, notions about supernatural healing, for example. And I think that's a good uh, reminder that we shouldn't think about the worlds of um, what we historians call elite culture and popular culture as being completely separate and unbridgeable. Um, popular cultural ideas are influenced by the ideas of the elite, so with the angels replacing fairies. Um, and indeed, in some ways, you can say the opposite happens, and uh, elite culture ideas are influenced by the needs of the populace. Um, so Protestants end up really rather emphasising uh, the idea of angels in response to a popular demand for some kind of supernatural help against uh, the, the threats of the world. Were similar patterns um, in this relationship with angels mirrored across Europe? Well, um, certainly, as yes, ideas about angels really remain very um, common everywhere in Europe in this period. Of course, there's a difference between the parts of Europe that go Protestant and the parts that remain Catholic. Um, and in uh, Catholic Europe, in Spain, Italy, uh, Portugal, Southern Europe more generally, angels certainly um, uh, remain extremely prominent. The idea of the guardian angel is not at all controversial, and so there are large numbers of um, books written by Jesuit priests and others encouraging devotion uh, to the guardian angel. 
Uh, in fact, the Pope established in 1608 a special feast day of the guardian angel. Uh, the other thing that Catholic Europe has, of course, is a, a profusion of religious art, so painting and statues in churches, which uh, very often um, involve depiction of, of angels. Um, and even bizarrely, the idea that this is a period of intense religious conflict and religious warfare between Catholics and Protestants in the 16th and 17th century actually encourages belief in angels. Um, angels are not always peaceful creatures. St. Michael, particularly, um, is regarded as a rather military figure. He's the kind of captain of the, the hosts of heaven. Um, the, the book of Revelation talks about war in heaven uh, and Michael and his angels uh, driving uh, the devil and uh, his demons uh, out of heaven. Um, so St. Michael becomes a kind of icon of the Counter-Reformation, leading the forces of good and truth against the wicked Protestant uh, heretics. Um, elsewhere in the, in the Protestant world, the, the position rather more like England is, is a complicated one. Um, so in, um, I suppose, what we could call Lutheran Protestantism, um, which is more prominent in northern Germany um, and in Scandinavia, uh, which had been rather more relaxed about images, pictures, religious statues in churches. Um, there does seem to have been an intense interest in angels, perhaps because people simply saw more, more pictures of them. Um, and there are large numbers of accounts of visions of angels appearing to people in Scandinavia and northern Germany uh, and bringing them direct supernatural messages of various kinds, something, of course, that the authorities were a little bit uneasy about if the messages turned out to be ones of which they, they disapproved. And sometimes the messages from angels are really rather dangerous and political ones, such as, for example, the authorities are demanding too high a level of taxation, um, in fact, I think we can see a pattern in, in general that angels can become a useful way of rather uh, levelling up the um, uh, balance of power in these very unequal, hierarchical, uh, authoritarian societies. Angels represent a way of direct access to supernatural or sacred power that, that common people can sometimes appeal to uh, when everything else in society is so heavily weighted against them. Our relationship with angels changed quite a lot I suppose during the Victorian period into the modern period now and angels we see them all over you know on Christmas cards and uh, they're very much part of the kind of celebrations but they have they lost some of that kind of spiritual significance that they, they that they managed to cling on to during the early modern period? Um, yes that's that's a good question because of course it is striking if you if you think about it even for a moment that angels are still really ever present um, not just on, on Christmas cards, but in modern popular culture. Um, uh, endless Hollywood films that involve guardian angels, um, angels as um, a theme of, of pop songs. Everyone remembers, of course, Robbie Williams' great hit, um, Angels, Loving Angels. Um, so there seems to be something about the idea of a supernatural, benign force looking out for humanity uh, and protecting them that uh, seems very, very powerful and very, very meaningful to people. Uh, and even though, of course, that the last century or two have been uh, an era of secularization in which um, orthodox official Christianity has lost much of its hold in, in society, angels seem somehow to have survived and in fact even thrived. I mean, if one spends even a few minutes looking for angels on the internet now, uh, you, you quickly notice that there are huge numbers of, of sites, um, some of which are, I suppose reflect kind of new age spirituality in which angels are very significant. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you.